please remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from Hebrews and also Mark. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now from Mark. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The word of the Lord. Father, we know that we are called to be fishers of men and witnesses of the grace and mercy that you have brought to us freely. We ask, dear God, that Addison would have your spirit and your spirit would change us, not just for today, but ongoing, drawing us near to yourself and helping us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Thank you for your love and for this time that we get to worship you together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Nice, amen. So in the first service, uh, before everything started, uh, David mentioned, I guess he mentioned in this service too, he mentioned that we're off the leash since our lead pastor is gone sort of free to do what we want if we, if we will. And you'll notice in, your, in the outline, it's just two points, and there's only one word for each point, and they're not of the same letter. Oh, they're different, uh, but that is a little bit different. And also in the first service, he called somebody out by name to read from the Scriptures, and I joked maybe I would call out somebody else by name. I still might do that even though he didn't do it. He's already set the precedent earlier, so just beware. Um, no, I'm kidding. I, I certainly wouldn't do that. But yeah, as we continue on in our sermon series here, while our lead pastor, Andrew, is on sabbatical, we're, we're looking at texts that are etched on the heart of pastors, preachers, those who come to fill the pulpit. And um, last week preached on John 13. It is one of those passages. It's a go-to passage for me. Um, and, and hopefully that came uh, became clear last week why that might be. And this week in Hebrews 4, isn't it quite... Um, it's not quite the same experience. You know, I didn't, this wasn't a verse or verses that um, necessarily came true in my life in some form or fashion in a very specific way like last week they were, but uh, I think crystallized a, a lot of what I hope and pray my ministry has been here uh, and will be as we move forward. Because in the same sense, this is the last uh, sermon that I will preach as an associate pastor at Christ Church. And so someone asked me this morning, is this your farewell sermon? I'm like, wow, I never really thought about it that way because uh, I'm going to be here for a month yet still. So it'd be weird to say, see you later, but see you next week. Um, so, but in some sense, there are a lot of thoughts 
um, that are coming out, uh, you know, in the same way that when you, uh, if you have kids or grandkids and you drop them off at a camp or at someone's house, you're like, hey, remember, you know, treat everyone with kindness and share your toys and I put a snack in your bag and so make sure that you eat your snack and if you don't eat your snack, you can't have another snack later and listen to your teacher or the parents of the house. Like you got these things that you tend to tell them right as you're letting them go. And another way, it's kind of like what I feel like this sermon is. It's things that I'm saying, things that I want to come out of my mouth through the Spirit, hopefully, and through God. He's put on my heart to tell you all before we head out. And this is one of those passages that is just so central to everything we know about who Christ is. Of course, it matches with Ascension Sunday. You know, this is Christ seated at the right hand of God. He is the one he is the one who has that throne that we can approach. He is our great high priest. And we're going to dissect a little bit of what this is and simply just look to answer that main point, which is, uh, or to answer the questions that go with the main point, you know, Jesus is worth following with everything. He is worth following with everything. That is what I want to be abundantly clear as you think about my time here. What did Addison say? He was a signpost that pointed to Jesus. And he pointed to Jesus and said, he is worth following. But I think for our day and age, um, we ought to answer two questions. Is the why and how. Like, why follow Jesus? There are a lot of things and people out there vying for your attention, for your money, for your time. Why Jesus? But also How? Okay, so yeah, Jesus seems like someone worth following. What might that look like? I'm going to just spend some time looking at these two passages, um, the why really coming from Hebrews and then the how coming from Mark and some other passages in there as well. So Hebrews 4, you know, why? Why follow Jesus? Succinctly, just give you the answer on the front end. I mean, Jesus is a king the king with whom we can connect with in a real way and he will never let us down. Jesus is the king that you and I can connect with and he'll never let us down. Okay, second point. I'm just kidding. Oh, Jesus is the king. So a couple of things in here through, through Hebrews that are, are really helpful for us. Um, make sure I have my quotes here. I'm going to read a couple of things from some people. But um, let's just start verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Um, that is not like the Westminster Confessions or Catechisms or those sorts of confessions. That's the confession that Jesus is King and Jesus is Lord, uh, that we believe in Jesus in that way. That is what he is getting at there. But there are a few things for us to learn about why follow Jesus just in that one passage. So Jesus is a great high priest. What does that mean? We don't use the high priest language very often unless it's from up here on a Sunday or in a Sunday school class. It's not language that we use in our culture uh, at all, really. And so what is a high priest? Well, in the Old Testament... You had uh, in this system that was created for the people of Israel to follow Yahweh, uh, they were like you and I, they were broken and messy, and they had broken and messy relationships with themselves, with their neighbors, with the land. This is all the curse that came from Adam and Eve in the garden, living itself out in that people. They needed some way to be able to be made right by, in, in the eyes of God. 
And so God helped and created this system. It's called the Levitical system. If you want to know more about it, talk to Jerry Stutzman. He'd be really helpful on this one. Uh, in fact, he's got a couple of classes on it. But also just read the book of Leviticus. I promise you, it's not a bore fest. It's really great. Uh, it's a fantastic book, and you get the heart of God. But there he is outlining for his people what it looks like to follow him, and how they can be made right with him. It's a lot of sacrifice offering. And there's the temple, and it has these different, uh, uh, these different courts that you would go into, uh, sorry, in the tabernacle, and these different courts uh, represent different ways in which, uh, and levels in which we can be made right in, in God's eyes. And there was one high priest who could enter into the holiest place where it was said that the presence of God dwelt. And this high priest was the one that could come in there and offer sacrifice and atonement on behalf of the people. So this high priest represented God's people to God. So they would go in there and make sacrifice for you and I. This is what Jesus has done. Of course, we have the rest of the story that would go on generation after generation after generation. You would have a high priest, and then they would live, they would die, and then another high priest would come, they would live, and they would die. Sometimes they'd probably make mistakes. Sometimes they would do things not quite right. But we have Jesus, who is the great high priest. I mean, he is the one and only. We do not need more high priests. We have Jesus as our high priest. He is the one that connects us with God, that offers sacrifice, which was his life his body and his blood broken, shed for you and I. That is the sacrifice he offered for us that we might be able to enter into a relationship with God. But the second thing that we learn from there is that he, he is not only the great high priest, he also passed through the heavens. Um, so what does that mean? Uh, quite simply, it means that Jesus, so let's just a little bit more about the high priest. The high priest would go in, that was where the presence of God was. Jesus passed through the heavens. He is the one who has entered into the place and the presence of God for us for all time. There is no single place where God's presence exists anymore. God's presence is with his people and in these places. It's not just in Christ Church's sanctuary, but it's in New City's sanctuary, and it's in Crossroads sanctuary, and it's in all these other churches' sanctuary, and it's in the car with you when you go home. It's with where two or three are gathered, and Jesus' name is there with you, is wherever we go because we have that presence in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus passed through the heavens, he was entering into the presence of God and sending to us the Holy Spirit that we might have that presence today, tomorrow, Wednesday, Friday, two weeks from now, two months from now. So that's what uh, Jesus offers for us as the high priest, as the one who entered the presence of God and gave it to us. And the third thing we need to notice is that he is also the son of God. So the author is very clear there, there to use um, Jesus, the given name, and then the Son of God to help us see this idea that Jesus is both man and God. And this is important. Both are important for very many reasons, but just a, a quick summary of it. It's important that Jesus was man so that he could be uh, eligible to be the high priest. He's of the order of Melchizedek. That is a whole nother study and a whole nother topic for another time. Um, and we can do that at some point, but I'll leave that for Andrew and the rest of the people that come after me. But Melchizedek, he's of the order of Melchizedek, so he is man. It is important that he is man. He was man and that he was sinless as well. Uh, though tempted in every way, and we'll get to that here in just a second. But it's also important that he was divine, that he was God, because this is not just another man. This isn't just another high priest of the order of Aaron. This is not just some pastor or some person that is representing us. It is the second person of the Trinity. It is God himself 
who is our great high priest who entered into the presence of God and who is able to connect with us, which is the second thing we learn here. So yes, high priest, he is a king. He is seated above us. He is the one with whom this kingdom is ruled by and for. But then also, he is not just up in his ivory tower or on this throne and does not connect with us. He actually knows what you and I go, go through. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So Jesus can connect. He's, we can connect with him. He understands this world and the way in which we live. He gets the temptation that you might have when you leave here or tomorrow. He knows what it's like in every respect when you are downcast, when you are made fun of, when you are sidelined, when you are hurt, or when cancer comes in and you're tempted to, to throw everything out. When you are tempted in any way, you have a high priest. You have someone who can represent you who knows what it's like in every respect, yet without sin. And that's important. It's important that he does not fall into sin. Of course, he can't fall into sin because he's, he's God in, uh, made incarnate. But also in that we, we have someone who is not uh, thrust at us that we need to be like. We need to say, oh man, I, I got to try and live this sinless life like Jesus. It's not there for us to compare ourselves to him, but as an inspiration for us. As someone who is, wow, he is fully man, understands my temptation, but fully God and did not sin. And that is why I can carry on. His body was broken. His blood was shed for me. He understands what it is that I'm going through. All right, first two things. We got through the, the third thing there that we understand the why, right? So he's the king who is able to connect, but also there is a sense of consistency uh, when we follow him. Because look, we're all following something. We all are seeking after meaning and purpose in this life in some way. It's built into who we are that we want to follow uh, a thing or a person, whether it's a political party, uh, whether it's some social media trend or influencers on, on social media, Instagram, those sorts of places, whether it's uh, local people in our neighborhood that we just aspire to be like, or Hollywood and people who are famous. It doesn't even have to be a person. It can be things, too. It can be a type of lifestyle. It can be a, a, a hobby or a category uh, that you want to put yourself in. We are, we are trying to find meaning from this world by following different things, by showing our allegiance to different things. Jesus is the only one who presents himself as worthy of following in this way. All of those other things will let us down. They will let us down. I was thinking about a way to like make this really concrete, <clears throat> and I'm going to share the same example I did in the first service, but I had a lot of feedback in between the services, so it'll be better. So think about Christchurch and what you love about Christchurch. You know, what are some of the things that you, you love? Maybe it's a particular style uh, of worship that we have. Maybe it's a way that we do our education for adults and for kiddos. Maybe it's aesthetically. Maybe it's, you know, some of the mission and vision and, and how we try and live that out. 
Well, let's just say, again, hypothetically, there's no leadership that's trying to do this. It's not even a part of the question. Let's just say we were to strip away all those things that you love about Christ Church, but the core of who we are, that we love Jesus and we want to see that played out through our ministries, does not change. Would you still come? Would you still pledge yourself to this place? Would you still want to be a part of this body? And the point I'm trying to make is not that, look, Christ Church is this bad place that does all this. It's not. It's a lovely place. You've seen me weep over it. And it's been a hard last couple of weeks as we've thought about moving on into a different place. Christ Church is a wonderful place. But the point is, Jesus is the only thing worth following. Even when it comes to religious institutions, even when it comes to a church, Jesus is worth following. Not just a place, not just a person, not just people. And I say this because I came across these really interesting statistics uh, in the last couple of weeks as I was thinking about this and, you know, doing some reading. I came across this one statistic that as a couple of years ago, I think it's 2019, that pulled uh, Americans and it said that 76% of America would say that they're Christian. Um, it's a pretty flattering number, um, but that's what the poll said. And then I found these other polls um, that were asking essentially the same question, at least from my perspective and probably from our perspective as well. It was asking, do you follow Jesus in a variety of different different ways? And less than 10% of people said they follow Jesus. And in my mind, those two numbers just don't compute. (laughs) 76% of people would say they're Christians, but less than 10% would say they follow Jesus. And it's certainly an idea that would be foreign to the New Testament authors and certainly to the people that were following Jesus. Remember, the word Christian, that name wasn't given until much later. Jesus wasn't asking people to come be Christians. He wasn't saying, hey, come, leave your your fishing, leave being a tax collector, leave doing these things and be a Christian. He was saying, come and follow me which is the second point, right? So why do we follow Jesus? Because he is worth it. He is the king that we can connect with, and he is not going to let us down. But the second question is, okay, great. How do we do this? How do we follow Jesus? Because obviously there's a little bit of a disconnect between what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus in our um, modern culture. Well, I think it's a great place to start is to look at what Jesus has to say. And we did that in uh, a part when we read Mark 1. I'm actually just going to read through uh, a few different verses here to get an idea of what Jesus is asking of his disciples um, when he comes to them. Now, just a quick aside and make sure and say this, that, you know, oftentimes we have thinking partners, right, whether some of them are dead, like Francis Schaeffer is a thinking partner of mine. Uh, Tim Keller is, tends to be a thinking partner, right? Sometimes these people don't know they're a thinking partner. So. Um, but another one is John Mark Comer. He is a pastor on the West Coast. Um, he's got a couple of great podcasts, um, and he has just some really good teaching on this idea in particular of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So, so if you listen to him, some of what I'm going to say through various podcasts and, and sermons may sound like some of what he said. I think he's just got really great ideas, and they come straight from the text. So here's what, here, when we remember, what, what's the idea? How do we embark on this adventure to follow Jesus, and what does it even look like? Let's read from Jesus's mouth in Mark what it is. So chapter 1, back in those verse 16 through 20, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, 
follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, which was nomenclature of the time. Uh, This wasn't the first time that this was used. This was the idea of what it meant to follow somebody. And we're going to tease out what that means here in a minute. But when you followed someone, you became fishers of men, meaning you were catching them and replicating what you were doing with your rabbi. Uh, So let's go to Mark 2, if you have a Bible, verse 13. Uh, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So we're going to go to another, the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 13. And Jesus went up on the mountain, uh, yeah, verse 13, and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So now we're getting a sense of what it means to follow. He is giving them some instruction and telling them what it means to do. We're going to read one more, and then we'll uh, di- kind of digest some of it as a whole. Chapter 8, uh, very Uh, famous verses here, uh, starting in verse 34. And calling the crowd to him, again, Jesus, you'll notice he keeps calling the crowd to him. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So again, we're talking about the same thing. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what, a, what can a man give in return for his soul? There's a pattern here. When Jesus is coming after people to make disciples, he is asking them to follow. And he does some teaching, he does some works, and he, he then says, go and do likewise. So uh, in, the way, in the way that the Hebrews would teach and educate, they had these three different levels uh, back in the day. So uh, you would have the first level, which all kids would do, and you would learn and memorize the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible. And they would memorize these things, and through that they would learn like mathematics, and uh, it's a very simple uh, reading and just this way of what it meant to be Jewish in this time. And then uh, from that, you would move on to the next level, but not everybody. Some people would just move on to the next level. And there they would memorize the whole Old Testament. And from there, they would learn what it meant to then teach and replicate that. And this is where you would get some of your scribes from, and different temple workers would come from this level of education. And the first level of education is just sort of everyone was sent out to do their own thing, carpentry, those sorts of things. Uh, but they had the... the um, they had the, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, memorized. In the second level, they would have the whole Old Testament level. And then from that, if you were sort of the summa cum laude, like the top, top, top of that class, you would move on to be what's called a Talmudin. And Talmudin is quite simply a disciple. It is someone that would follow a rabbi and learn the rabbi's teachings. They would call this a yoke. And so it would be this collection of teachings that a rabbi would have. It'd be his interpretation of the scriptures um, and your job. You go through an interview and all these sorts of things, and you would follow this rabbi. And when you did that, it meant three things specifically. And the first thing that it meant was that you would quite literally follow them. Like when we think of follow, we think of like Instagram and Twitter. Like, hey man, I follow that person on Twitter and I can read all the things they read. But what we're talking about here is like a literal following. 
There was a saying uh, around this time, uh, may the dust of your disciple lay upon you, something like that. I'm, I totally probably messed it up. But like, the idea meaning like you're following them and the dust from the roads, the dust from the feet of your rabbi would be on you because you are quite literally following behind them in their footsteps. So you were going town to town. You're going to the different synagogues that they were going to. You were going into the different houses that they were going to. You were sleeping in the same place as they were. You were quite literally following them everywhere they met. So that was the first thing that it meant to be a disciple of a rabbi. The second is that you would, um, I'm going to mix the second and the third up a couple of times here, so I'm going to make sure I get it correct, uh, that you would... Um, follow, that you would become like the rabbi. So this is important in that it wasn't, um, it was literally a carbon copy. So they weren't asking you to be your own person. Uh, They were asking you to become like the rabbi. So when you followed that rabbi, you were following this specific person because you wanted to become like them. You wanted to teach the things they were teaching. You wanted to to live the way that they were living. You were wanting to understand what it meant to be like that rabbi. And the third thing was that you would go and do what they do. So you would replicate that ministry. You would take those teachings and you would have your own sort of itinerant uh, travel and follow from place to place and teach the things that they were teaching. And then you also would make disciples. And so look, Jesus didn't create this idea of what it meant to be a disciple maker. This was something that was baked into the culture during this time. And he was taking it, and like he always does, he was flipping it on his head. Because remember, they would say, this is like for the summa cum laude. This is for the top of the top. This is for the 1%, if you will. And Jesus says, no, this is for everyone. I'm calling the fishermen, I'm calling the tax collectors, I'm calling the, the scribes and Pharisees, I'm calling all of y'all, you good Texan here, all of y'alls, to come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. Go with me when I go places. Okay, what does that mean today? So what does it mean for us to follow Jesus, right? We're not going to have the dust of Jesus on us because Jesus is seated at the right hand. I had a lot of trial and error getting that word right in the first service. Seated, seated, seated. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So what does it mean? Remember, he sent us the Spirit So we have the Spirit with us when we go places, and so we recognize and have those moments of connection with the Spirit, and we realize that God is at work in the places that we are. We have road rage, and we're angry because of the crazy drivers around us. We are not crazy drivers. They are all crazy drivers. (laughs) We recognize, look, God, you're here. In this moment, I'm going to take a deep breath and recognize that and attune myself to the Spirit. There are so many ways in which we do that where we, we are in a place that God is there but we don't realize that He is. These are moments with the Spirit. It's an awareness of and a position with Jesus. These are the practices that we have. This is why we call them practices because they take practice. Reading our Scriptures praying, fasting. These are the ways where we attune ourselves to the work of the Spirit, and then those things get played out. They're practiced for those everyday real circumstances where we are not in tune with the Spirit. And so we follow Jesus in those ways, in those places, through the Spirit. And then the second one, I got to look again because I always mix them up, is that we become like Jesus. We call this sanctification. Today, the, the, the wording that we use is uh, spiritual formation. This is just becoming more like who Christ was. 
This is the replicating who he was. So we are trying to become like Jesus. We are, are being formed, and are we being formed by Jesus? Remember I said earlier that we all following something. Are we becoming more like that something, that someone else, that political party, that institution, that uh, influencer on social media? Or are we becoming more like Jesus? Are we letting Jesus come out and be expressed through our personalities, through our gender, through our jobs, through our interactions with our neighbors and our families with one another? Or are we letting the world in all of its different ways come out through who we are? And this isn't just behavior modification. This is an inward transformation. This is what the Spirit is working on our hearts that we might be able to love our enemies before we want to torture them, before we want to call them names, before we want to throw them under the bus, before we want to post something about them on social media. It's trusting in our Father, in God our Father, instead of being overly anxious and worried about bills we can't pay, relationships that are breaking down, diseases that are breaking down our body. Those things hurt. And they're real. But the inward transformation that happens as we trust in God and realize he has a plan for us, that he is good to us, even despite all the hard things we deal with. And then the third one, right? So we, uh, we follow Jesus, we become like Jesus, and then we do what he did. So we carry on Jesus' ministry. Because he is the rabbi, the teacher that we are following. And they had teachings, right? So this doesn't mean that you and I just walk around teaching the Bible because Jesus did more than that. He was also the Messiah. He was the long-awaited Messiah, the one that was going to come and free Israel from their bondage and to free them from their, their slavery. And so we follow Jesus. He was bringing the kingdom of God in, right? Mark 1, that is a, a really great passage. And Jesus came proclaiming the gospel. He said, look, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that's what we do. We do what Jesus has done. We bring the kingdom of God in. And there's a, a few ways in which if you go through the New Testament and see, you know, what does that look like? What did he do? How is he ushering in the kingdom of God? Well, he was doing it by preaching the gospel, teaching the way, or uh, that was the, the wording that you used of to follow him. So teaching what it meant to follow him, healing the sick, casting out demons, eating and drinking with those far away, doing justice, peacemaking, praying, prophesying, standing up against political and religious injustice. So these are the things that Jesus did, and he is saying, come, replicate my ministry, do as I did. And so if you follow Jesus, these are the things that should make up our life. Not in day one, not in year one, maybe not even in year four or five, and of course, never perfectly. But this is what it looks like to live this out. To live out our following of Jesus means to do as Jesus did. So we be with him, be like him, and do what he did. And look, if you're going to commit to something like following Jesus, it takes everything. That's why I put that in the, in the main idea, because he is worth following with everything. It's not just a hobby. can't just love soccer and follow Jesus. You can't just mountain bike and follow Jesus. You can't just be a DIYer. I'm trying to list all the things that I tend to do hobbies with, but I'm an Enneagram 7, so I could go on for a long time. No, it's not a hobby. It's something that takes everything 
It becomes central to our lives. And we do it right where we are as bankers, as engineers, as teachers, as stay-at-home moms, as educators, as medical professionals, as data analysis analysts. We do it where we are. It becomes a whole, the whole part of our life. It doesn't mean you just have to leave and become a missionary or a pastor or work on a church staff. No, you follow Jesus where you are, and it becomes a part of your whole life. And then that is how disciples are made, because they're attracted to it. They see it. They see your, your willingness to, to follow something that is different than what the culture is following, something that uh, brings you great joy amidst pain and sorrow. Because remember, it's going to get hard, and it's going to get messy. Because we are a lot like Israel was. We are messy. We have hurt people in our relationships. We have trusted and followed other little things which have led us off our path. And then we brought some of those things in over here as we've learned from osmosis and we've said this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. So how do we sum this up? You know, Jesus is worth following with everything. Why? Because he is a king who can connect with us and does connect with us through the power of the Spirit, sending of the Spirit, and he will not let us down. He is worth following because of those reasons. And how? Well, we do it in the way that they did back then. So we follow him, literally, we're in tune to the moments of the Spirit, but we become like Jesus and we do what he did. And that's going to introduce uncomfortableness and mess. Because it's a vulnerability that we're willing to lay bare before other people. Show them that we don't have it all together. We are a hot mess. But we follow one who gave his life for us and rose for us. That we might be able to do this with his work. Right? What does the end of Hebrews say? If we go back to our text, the, the main text. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, receiving the grace and the mercy, receiving all of the work that was done by Christ as he led his sinless life for us and died for us. We draw near to that throne that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That should just say all the time. Because we are always in need. Of course, in that context, they were under persecution and so it means we, we got to deal and get into the mess and trust that Jesus is going to work this out for our betterment here at Christ Church and in West Michigan. It means we, we welcome in that stuff because we have received something that is beautiful. It's grace and love that we did not deserve. So here's my last uh, point here to crystallize. What might that look like? What might it look like to be a place where we can welcome in mess to show beauty and grace. I got this quote from an author who was in um, a publication that I read this week uh, titled Church for Normies, meaning church for normal, everyday people. What does it look like to do this? So he says this, church has to make room for the unsatisfactory, the just getting by, the I'm barely paying the bills, the it took all I had to show up this morning, 
the I'm doing my best, the just give me a break folks, the Holly Ivy Christians who begrudgingly show up twice a year, and the Simon Peters and Doubting Thomases, the addicts who relapse, the gamblers in debt, the porn addled who can't quit, the foreclosed on and laid off, the perennially fired and out of work, the ex-cons and adulterers and fathers of five kids by three different mothers. Is the church not such a place for these? Because the scriptures say, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. See, we need to become a place like that. And we are. We are on our way to doing that. My encouragement and the last, you know, I'm going through my list as an apparent. One of, my, one of the last things I want to say is holy trust in Jesus. And those things will come and we have grace to offer people because it's why you're here. It's why I'm here. That grace was offered to me when I was in that mess. And now I'm working out the rest of my mess with Jesus and y'all. And that's what this place is to be. A place where we can do that and to show the world that following Jesus is worth it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for uh, this word and this text and, and what it means for us. Uh, a text that over the hundreds and hundreds of years of people who have sought to follow you with everything in their life have dwelled upon this idea that you as the high priest, the one with whom laid down everything for the sake of our relationship with God. Might we find it in ourselves to answer the call to follow you. And Jesus comes and says, hey, follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. Become like me that the world may know that I was sent by the Father, that there's life and life abundance in me. Lord, I pray that we would continue to become a place where the stickiness and the mess of life can be dealt with openly, vulnerably, where we can receive the grace in our time of need. We can come to the throne of grace with confidence and know that our high priest hears us experienced what we have experienced and lavishes love on us in a way that we can't even begin to fathom. Lord, thank you for this people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.